This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 433 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products and TotalSaddleFit.com. Today we have some advice for disaster preparedness. Endel Otz will give us a great interview about his busy summer, and Caroline Rothman covers our trainer tip about juggling family and riding. This is Reese Koffler Stanfield from Georgetown, Kentucky. And this is Philip Parks from Rockwood, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. Hi, Phil. Hi, how's it going? Jen, how are <laughs> you doing? Good. Jen's here too. Producer Jen, hi. I'm hanging in here. I have neither floated nor blown away yet. Yet. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, we yeah. It sounds like you guys are, are prepared or preparing, and you're up sort of in the northern Florida area, so you're not quite right in the eye of the storm at the moment. Am I correct on that? Well, the model currently has the eye going up closer to the east coast of the state, and we are centrally located. So uh, depends on how it goes. We will, we will know on Saturday night. There we go. But we, in the meantime, right. we've battened down the hatches and filled every available container with water, so we're good. I believe that's what everybody says. Like you need to be filling water and be getting organized. Um, it sounds like that's the, the theme. And we're gonna we're actually gonna have an interview. We added that to the show this week because we felt like it was really important for all you guys that are. Uh, we have lots of listeners that aren't only just in Florida, but they're in Texas and they're out west with the fires. So we hope that you can kind of take some of this information and and it will help you. Um, and uh, certainly, if there's anything we can do, Phil and I are are pretty good. This is a nice time of year for us in Kentucky. So, uh, same for you too, Phil, right? So, yeah, I if mean, there's anything if, if we, we can do. Yeah, if there's know. anything we can do, we are just hoping and wishing everybody the best and, um, and trying to add our little piece of, of some advice and some, some information to, uh, to help people prepare and, and to be safe during this time. So we're thinking about everybody and, and wish you guys all the best and, and good luck for sure. Um, so, but with that said, we're going to have a fun show today. We hope you guys all enjoy. Uh, we did add an interview, which I think we all should listen to on sort of how to be prepared for a disaster. It actually sort of helped us here at the farm today. We kind of had a, a quick discussion on sort of what we would do uh, if something yeah. happens. Yeah, make a plan. Yeah, making so. a plan never hurts to make a plan, right? Never hurts to make a plan, at least talk about it. So that was good. Um, but yeah, we have a great show. Uh, wait till you hear Endel Otz. After his interview, uh, it made me also want to train harder and take a nap all at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> he's and, been a busy guy this summer. Been, and, uh, yeah. you know, he talks a little bit about uh, some issues that they had with the horse in quarantine. And mm -hmm. so we really appreciate that because uh, this is one of these things that could have happened, happened to anybody. So uh, it's a very interesting discussion on just... Uh, quarantine procedures and issues that may arise so um i hope that people enjoy that part of the interview and also just he's been to every competition in the world yeah. this year it seems like so yeah he's he's a great interview we love having him on the show so we appreciate it yeah. and then just a little bit later caroline roffman is going to join us she's uh, a recent new mom so she, she's a competitor and now she has two children and she has some great ideas and tips about uh 
um, you know, being a mom and, and also being a writer at the same time. So uh, I think that's uh, an important issue to cover. It's not one that uh, I might have to yeah, deal with. Yeah, you but. have to deal with personally, huh, Phil? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it was great. So we have a really fun show. But Phil, we do have some news. Um, do you Can you tell us a little bit about what's going on with the Central Park show? Yeah, well, unfortunately, it seems to be the, that they have uh, decided to cancel the uh, dressage part of the Central Park dress, you know, horse show. Um, that's been going on, what was it, two or three years that they've yeah. you know, held a, yeah. a pre-class there. They, they invite over all kinds of competitors from Europe to, uh, to bring their top horses to compete. And I think it's been you know, a successful show and exposing people who may not know anything about dressage by, by hosting this show in Central Park. All the New Yorkers get to come and, and, uh, and well, if they, if they like to come and watch the horse show. But uh, this year they won't have it. They've had uh, a few riders drop out for numerous reasons. And so now they've changed it to uh, an in-arena in eventing competition uh, still to be held at the, the Central Park uh, showground. So uh, that seems interesting, but we're really ashamed that they're not going to be hosting all of our top riders. Um, I know. It's a bummer, isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. kind of a so. Uh, <laughs> but just, we'll just wait uh, for Florida, right? Or, you know, kind of between competition seasons, the indoor season, you know, kind of coming to mm-hmm. Europe and uh, people thinking about, well, Florida in November. So uh, kind of quiet in the barns and at the competitions these days, I think. Yeah, it is pretty quiet. So we are going to come back. We're going to have um, a great conversation with Endo Otts right after this commercial break from Kentucky Performance Products. This Nutrition Minute is brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, the company that simplifies your search for research-proven nutritional supplements at kppusa.com. The horse that matters to you matters to Kentucky Performance Products. Researchers have confirmed that as horses age, they naturally become less sensitive to insulin and more susceptible to health problems caused by too much sugar in the diet. One way to reduce the sugar content in a horse's diet is to replace sugar-laden grains with a high-fat supplement. Fat is an extraordinary energy source. It is readily utilized by the horse and contains more than two times the calories of sugary grains. Equijule Stabilized Rice Bran is an excellent fat supplement. It contains a balanced calcium-to-phosphorus ratio and won't cause mineral imbalances when added to the diet. Its all-natural ingredients are high in healthy fat and fiber. Best of all, Equijule allows owners to easily replace the calories previously supplied by sugary grains. When you need to add healthy calories to your horse's diet, choose Equijule. To learn more, visit Kentucky Performance Products at kppusa.com. tonight we are so happy to have a good friend of our show Endel Otson he is an international rider trainer and frequent flyer Endel welcome to the show <laughs> thank you happy to be back it's always fun to hang out with you guys we love it so we've been uh, you've been so great because you have been literally all over the world this summer and we have lots to talk about so can we kind of start let's where should we start Europe we're, let's start there. How's that sound? <laughs> that sounds good. That sounds good. We, we do it in the, in the correct timeline. I think it'll yeah, be easier perfect. to remember. Perfect. So, so tell us, what were you, what were you over there? Because you've, you've played many roles at this point. Yeah. So uh, I went over there with a client to look at some horses for a little bit. And then, uh, then Chase was uh, um, showing in the Falsterbone Nations Cup 
um, in uh, uh, Sweden. And then I flew over there for that. And then, uh, yeah, came back here, uh, helped coach B.B. Uh, Davis to uh, uh, team gold um, and then individual gold at Young Riders and then flew back to uh, coach uh, again. So the highest scoring uh, U.S. rider at both both Nations Cups, Chase uh, Hickok and Sagacious. In Hickstead, and then, uh, then uh, yeah, I flew back here, and then I uh, had to get uh, myself all organized and, and ready for Young Horse Championship. Oh my gosh! So, so let's go back. Tell us what was the Nations Cup like? I mean, that is that was so cool to kind of. We were watching it, Phil and I, from from this side of the pond, and it was just so cool. We also know Chase; she's come on the show lots of times. So, tell us what was that like to kind of be over there? You know, I think uh, what was really fun is uh, uh, I would say it was maybe a little bit for me. It was a little bit. Uh, I was I was a little nervous. Um, I couldn't let uh, Chase see that, or of course, the case <laughs> notice that. I was a little no- nervous, you know, I had not, you know, I'd ridden internationally, but I'd really never coached anybody, um, you know, at the, uh, I mean, I had coached DB in, in Europe, but never open uh, Grand Prix rider, I'm an international class, so, you know, it was a little bit, I was a little nervous, I had, you know, a bunch of, uh, you know, very famous riders, and Patrick Kittle, and and uh, uh, a bunch of these people over there, so I was a little nervous in the beginning, um, but I have to say, you know, once kind of after we go through the jog, and to get kind of into our system and our routine it was really really fun because uh it was a really fun feeling like uh, uh that everybody fit in um and all the all the riders on both nations cup teams were just so awesome i mean you know you had a lot of veterans you know like Susie duda and 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 a bunch of those people um and katherine bateson and you know on on these teams and um you know charlotte yours and i have to say on both aspects of of being real team players on it um everybody was great you know and and it was really fun to to be able to you know coach and 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 help um and and be able to see that uh, hey we really fit in here you know and and that uh you know once we got in our routine and we did the warm-ups and we planned out everything that uh um, yeah, that we really fit in there. And then, then kind of after the, you know, after the first rides and the first day, um, you know, you kind of stop being nervous and you get maybe a little more anxious, a little bit more excited, um, you know, and, and it was a really awesome experience, I think for Chase, um, you know, and it was, you know, she had shown a new 25s, but never opened Grand Prix, um, in, in, uh, in Europe. And I think she had felt, uh, um, that she had something to prove, you know, when she and Sagacious had gone over there last time. Yeah, I think she, you know, as do most people when they go over there the first time, I mean, yeah, they had some bobbles and some things. And I think that had weighed on them a little bit uh, heading into it. And uh, I really, I really, you know, try to focus on making sure that, uh, you know, they just, uh, that, you know, they knew that uh, they knew what was going on and that, uh, you know, they have such a good relationship and, and that uh, we don't need to make anything better. We just do exactly what we've done all season um, and just really focus on that. And I have to say, Robert Do- Dover was awesome on everything um, in being supportive and, and, and all that. And, um, you know, we've made some really awesome, uh, awesome friends uh, over there. And, and uh, it was just a really, really super positive experience, I think, for Chase um, and, and Genesis, but then a really positive one for me. Um, you know, I had a little bit, you know, this, you hear that saying that people say, you know, oh, if you're a good coach, you're not a good rider. If you're a good rider, you're not a good coach. And I had to literally get that out of my head and just say, no, I know what I'm doing, you know, and, yeah. and not, uh, not look at, you know, all the first, but 
really just uh, focus on, you know, what I knew that, you know, the whole team needed to do and needed to focus on and, you know, accomplish. And yeah, it was uh, just a super positive experience. So let's, yeah, I just wanted to talk about that uh, maybe with Endel and then Reese, like, um, because maybe you're like me, I am much more stressed to have a rider be going in the ring than me, you know, myself. And then like, if anything goes wrong, you know, for my rider, I just like, I almost have a meltdown. It's it's terrible, right? Like, how do we deal with that kind of stress? You know, being behind, I know that parents deal with this and, you know, people on the ground, you feel like you have very little control over a situation that you really want all the control in and to to have your rider be successful. So, so how do you kind of, how do you kind of deal with that Endel? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'd kind of felt that with BB, you know, in, in coaching her these last couple of years, you know, and I've been a little used to that. And then I started to feel a little the same thing, you know, with Chase and Tagacious, um, you know, and, and them coming into my program. Um, yeah. I don't know. I have a little silly thing. I'm not nervous until I'm sitting there and I can't do anything. And, and, you know, I watched the actual test, you know, the warm up. The, I'm not nervous at all, but the second that they go in the ring, I have no more control. So I do a little <laughs> silly thing. Um, and like, I actually talk like I am like still teaching, you know, and I find that helps me a little bit. It makes me sound a little bit insane. And a couple people were asked me like, Hey, maybe you got to talk a little more quiet. You sound like she has like a radio in her ear or something, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and so I had to be a little, little careful. Um, but, uh, yeah, I found that really helped me to really just kind of, you know, a little bit to ah, a little bit more forward, ah, a little bit smaller here, a little bit that there, you know, as she's riding. Um, and actually it helped her when she watched the video afterwards, because, you know, I had the one thing, one of the things we worked on with Chase is that she doesn't like, as most of us don't like watching ourselves on videos. And I really had to get after her that, no, you watch it, you know, and, and, you know, it, it can't always be me just sitting there telling you how it looks. You need to see how it looks. And so that kind of helped Then she could watch the video and then hear me on the, you know, commenting on the video. And then it's not just after the fact, but then in a little bit real time. And then she could a little bit see the points where she had to go a little bit more forward, a little bit back. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I have no idea how to make it feel much better when they go around the ring. But uh, when I have <laughs> no more control anymore, I mean, I wish I could just, like, walk away and have somebody tell me how it looks. But, yeah, uh, exactly, you know, right? yeah. it, it, it just doesn't work. Well, and that's just something to always remember as, you know, we, we are coaches all the time, but people that, that aren't coaches, you know, remember your coach, we put a lot of ourselves in you and we try so hard. I mean, I think everyone, if you're a good coach is doing this. And so it is so hard to put your person in that, you know, you're like, oh my gosh, I can't help them anymore. Good luck. And, and so it is really hard. So be nice to your coaches because we really do stress out for you. We suffer. Yeah. It's it's very painful. You can see like your whole team is, is dying in the corner, you know, for you. So it just shows how much you care and, and how much of a team it is. And, and it really is all everybody working together. And, and, and that just shows what a good coach you are so so Endel can you tell us a little bit about uh you guys had some big issues as you came back to the United States can you it was in the press and and we're super glad you're going to chat about it Sagacious actually got held in quarantine um can you can you tell us a little bit about what happened yeah so um I had uh uh, you know he he was coming back and Chase had uh had used my uh, truck and trailer and she was gonna drive down to go pick him up and then another uh, sail horse that I had coming over from Europe um, and uh, she called me crying and, and uh, a little hysterical as you can understand and she was telling me oh he's got glanders he's got glanders and they got to send them back to Europe and, and all this stuff 
and my first, you know, she was very emotional. And, and I always, before I react, I, I figure out what's going on. I don't really panic, you know, I'm here and there, but not, not, not in that kind of stuff. So she called me and said that. And I said, first off, he doesn't have glanders and, and, uh, relax. He's going to be fine. We're going to figure it out. Just let me make a few phone calls and I'll figure out this stuff. Um, and then, you know, I said, just pull over, go find a spot. You know, I knew she was driving my truck and trailer and she yeah. used to drive my truck and trailer. So I said, go find a place, go have a glass of wine, you know, just relax. We're gonna, we'll figure it out. And then I hung up the phone and I go, what the hell is Glanders? I didn't know what the heck it was. I'd never heard of it before. And, uh, so I called, I have so many really great, uh, vet friends as you do when you, you know, are in this sport. And I called everybody up and everybody was like, okay, well, Glanders is a basically a bio- biological weapon that was created by the Germans to, uh, kill people in, uh, in villages and oh. they'd inject goats and then little ponies and drop them off in these villages. And everybody would die within like a week of getting this horrible kind of oh. disease. And uh, so every vet I talked to said, uh, yeah, no, we've never seen it. You read about it in vet school. Um, basically, you know, in going through the stuff, you know, in, in the long story short on there, the, the USDA um, has a um, has a, a test that they test for that they test horses on. And when they test the horses, um, then they kind of come, you know, they they want the cheapest possible test, you know, to test for the most possible mm-hmm. things. Um, and uh, they only send it to one lab. And I've imported so many horses. The gases has gone back and forth from there. And, um, you know, this test, uh, in speaking with enough people, um, this test has had many, many, many false positives on there. And it happens actually quite a, quite a bit. Um, one, one, one horse, uh, was a race horse over in California who actually, I have to say, Christine Traurig put me in, uh, uh, conjunction with the article that, uh, the people put it through. So his story was the horse came from Ireland. They tested the horse when it got to California. And then in California, the horse tested positive two, three times. And they said, ah, we're going to kick it back to, um, Ireland. Ireland said, uh, no, if it lands here, we're going to put the horse down. We're not going to accept it back. So then USDA said, well, we're going to put the horse down here. And so they had a lot of fighting and that horse ended up testing positive uh, for this disease like 20 some times. And basically what you can have is, so this disease is, if your horse gets it, I mean, they're dead like this. No, there's, you know, you can treat them, but it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't get better. All the, the vets kind of off the record, you know, were like, listen, your horse doesn't have it, you know, and, you know, if your horse had it, uh, Chase would be actually dead right now too. So there's really no, you know, I mean, it doesn't have it. But uh, the problem is they can come in conjunction with some other horse that maybe has little sniffles and, you know, something like that. And uh, it can just come up that this kind of test a little bit positive. So we worked with this lawyer from uh, that Christine had put me in contact with, and they were amazing and so helpful and so friendly. And we got a lot of phone calls from everybody. Um, and basically, USDA were going to make us, you know, ship the horse back over to Europe. And the problem was is that um, because we had tested the horse a couple of times here, we didn't have any guarantee from USDA that they would allow the horse back in the country. A lot of times when people have this, uh, this disease and I have gotten now emails, probably 15 to 20 people have emailed me and said, Oh my God, I had the same problem. But, uh, you know, they just said, Oh, send it back to, uh, you know, Amsterdam, wherever, um, their testing is way more detailed and we'll test it there. And then they always come back negative and then you can ship it back. The problem is Segasius doesn't ship so well, you know, and that would be a lot of shipping for him to go back to Europe and then back here. 
And, you know, we were very certain that the horse didn't have it. So we had to a little bit stand our ground on there. And I have to say USDA, you know, after, you know, we had been a little bit more firm with what was going to go on. We're super, super helpful and very friendly with everything. And the horses are great when they came out of quarantine. Um, one thing we had uh, agreed to do was there is a test called the Western blot test. And this is a very accurate test, somewhat being more expensive. Um, the, we tested the horse for that with, and the Western blot will show if the horse has got glanders. The horse tested completely negative on there. So we knew the horse doesn't have glanders. Um, and then, but the problem is the way the law is written in the USDA and, and, uh, you know, with the government agencies, they only accept this, they only do kind of the very shady, not shady test, but the little bit highly, highly positive test. Um, and that's the only one that they can accept, you know, by the law. And so you need two negative tests of that to come back. And so we fell into this kind of gap in between the law. So um, they luckily allowed us to keep the horse down in quarantine, you know, $500 a day. But, uh, you know, it, it was uh, way better and, and still cheaper than shipping it back and forth. To Europe. Back twice. Um, yeah. Sure, yeah. Up, yeah. Yeah. And so the horse ended up, uh, you know, luckily when uh, I think up to, when I was up in Chicago, tested negative on the Western blot test, and then also a double negative on the original test he tested positive in. And the whole time, the horse never had a temperature, never had any symptoms, never had anything, you know. And then, um, you know, we they they ended up delivering the horse and ended up everything kind of being fine. Um, and I think the hard part was is that everybody else was told the same thing we were told. Uh, yeah, this never happens, but uh, it does happen. And, uh, you know, hopefully now that the word is out there a little bit more, there can be some sort of people that uh, work on doing this because I heard from a lot of people and basically everybody just shipped their horses back over to Europe and had them retested there. I mean, and they always tested negative and then came back over here and they allowed that, uh, that, that negative test that was over there. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it was a little bit, uh, it was a little bit of, uh, a little bit of a mess and, that was it was pretty funny. So after I told Chase, just pull over, relax, because I could tell how upset she was on the whole thing. Um, on that day. I said, yeah, just pull over, just relax. You know, we'll get it figured out. You know, and I, you know, I, I she calls me again in five minutes, and she's going to be so mad. You know, I, I drove down a one-way street and I jackknifed your trailer, and now I'm all upset about that. And I go, like I said, just please pull over and just relax. It'll be fine. You know, here's your <laughs> trailer. Doesn't matter. You know, and so. Uh, yeah, it all ended up working out fine, but uh, you know, it was uh, was a little bit uh, little hairy in the. You see, it seems like there needs to be a policy policy change or or something to go on yeah. to be able to use a, a more a better test and to have that be acceptable. You know, at the cost yeah. of the owner, fine, but you know, like it seems like exactly. the test that they use what is that? not all that accurate, right? So yeah, that's terrible. And, and that's too bad. It's. Yeah, with that, with that, uh, with that test in there. I mean, that was when we spoke with that lawyer from the horse from Ireland. He was surprised that we were having the same problem because they were led to believe that uh, okay, that that USDA had acknowledged that this is a this is absolutely you know we agree that this is not a good way to go about it. And then I think once that horse got through, nothing ever you know nothing kind of came from it. You know, it was just another time yeah, where okay, like, no one, problem. One, one yeah, one horse doesn't matter, whatever you know and carry on wow that's crazy Absolutely. 
Wow. Well, well, he, we are so glad he's safe and sound. I'm sure there was a lot of wine consumed. Uh, I feel like I need a glass for you guys. Um, yeah. but so, so at, with, with this, all of this, you were training for the young horse finals, right? Yeah, I should have trained a little bit harder. I think I, I probably could have done a little bit better, but, uh, but no, I, I, I was training for that and, and, uh, you know, getting, getting ready to show lucky in there. I was, um, you know, we were, we were schooling and stuff and working on everything. And, uh, yeah, I was really happy with him. You know, I had a little bit, uh, you know, I should have, uh, probably, you know, in hindsight, uh, to do a little better, I normally would have uh, done a show before I would do the young horses. And, um, you know, the first time he ever did the pre St. George test was in the championship. And uh, I had a few mistakes in there, you know, understandable from his part being seven years old and doing that. And, um, on the first test and then the second test was, uh, was way better. And, and, you know, it was, it was really good. I had, uh, you know, two of the judges had me first and, and one had me a little bit below that. And yeah, I just missed it up by point some percent. So, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I hate, uh, I hate, uh, coming in second to anybody, but, uh, I was uh, really happy for the girl at one. She really was super nice and, and really, you know, really good in a super program with uh, Catherine Adad. And so, uh, yeah, if anybody could uh, beat me in there, then it's, I guess it's okay if she does. But uh, yeah, right before on the, on the morning we were walking our horses, you know, I think she was below me on the first day. And then, uh, you know, I said, yeah, hey, have a good ride. Just, you know, you can beat everybody else but me. And so <laughs> she said, yeah, okay, I promise. She goes, I promise I won't, I, I'll do that. And then, of course, you know, she goes, well, I'm sorry. The first promise I ever made to you, I broke. And I said, well, <laughs> yeah, I, I would try to break that promise too, you know. But, yeah, she's uh, not no, that she's sorry. Not Let's so. be real. Let's just be yeah, real here. Exactly. She's not that sorry. But that was great. She <laughs> sorry, was not sorry. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, not sorry. But she was a younger rider. And, and, and so tell us, I mean, what was the quality like this year? What was it like there? It just was, kind of give us a full. It was on. it was really good, you know, and and uh, it was it was really fun, and and uh, I um, you know I had a real fun time being able to watch the young horses go, and and you know you can see I think a lot of you know future team horses in the group, and and uh, no, it was uh, you know it was really fun, and 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 uh, you know it's so great to be able to go to those championships because you know everybody in there, you know, I mean everybody is super super uh, supportive of everybody else and and uh, it's just it was a really really fun experience so we've, we've kind of been following along with you know lucky strike i think we first talked to you after coming home from the five-year-old world championships or something like that so just give us an overview about the training and maybe his last year of riding and and you know how you decided to go to the young horse championships uh, and, and just yeah, kind of what's going so, on with so, him. Tell us all about it. Yeah, him. so I, with with him after last year and the six year olds, I a little bit. Uh, I I actually, you know, I actually wasn't planning on doing the developing uh, pre Saint George this year. Um, you know, I thought, ah, you know, he's so good at the six year olds, and you know, he's doing really good, and he's a little bit of a bigger horse. And I just, ah, you know, as uh, as a horse in there for the developing uh, Saint George, you can show a seven, eight, nine years old. Um, and, and, uh, you know, I think the one that beat me was eight or nine or something like that. And, and, uh, you know, he was uh, seven. So I, you know, but, you know, I was working and schooling him and I, you know, was right a lot with Christine Traurig and she was overviewing my videos and I just, you know, Christine, I, I kind of want to do it. You know, I mean, I, I don't really want to push him that hard because I really, you know, I mean, my goal is, you know, international competition and, and, and being on future U.S. teams. And I really didn't want to burn him out, um, and which is why I decided not to do the seven-year-olds uh, um, in uh, in Europe. Um, also with, with 
teaching BB and, and uh, uh, in doing having chase on my program this year, I decide, you know, I, I knew that would not have worked in that program. So I kind of stepped it back on there. Um, but he was really showing so well. And, and, you know, I, I kind of really went in there and just to, you know, listen, of course, to, you know, go and, and have fun and, and, and really try to win. But I really, you know, I care about how that horse develops and I really wanted him to, uh, you know, have a, have a good experience and, and, you know, being able to show, you know, uh, what he can do and how he can compete with. And, and, uh, you know, he's playing with all the grumpy now and, you know, I, you know, nothing super serious or super hard, but Passage is super easy. Pioff is easy, you know, and I think, uh, my plan for the next, this next season is, uh, finally to be able to go into the CDI, uh, small tour ring. You know, I've been really jonesing to, to get, uh, get back in there and, uh, had a bunch of students in there. So, uh, you know, you have to a little bit, I think, uh, you know, ride and train with, uh, you know, a little bit, uh, some handcuffs on and really make sure that just because you really want it, that you really keep, uh, the horse's perspective and, in, in, uh, you know, and where they are and, and not to burn them out, you know, and, and, uh, you know, he's such a, you know, really, he's a real fighter for me and he really tries for me in the ring. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I want to keep, uh, keep that, uh, that part of him, uh, uh, you know, really positive and, and, uh, going forward. So, so, Endo, I think that's a really good comment, you know, about sort of the young horse program. I think it gets a little bit of a bad rap, um, you know, pushing horses too hard or, um, and I think just your whole comment there of you really have to read your horse and you really have to decide, you know, what is too much or what's not enough. Um, and, and I think that that's really kind of the, the, the whole essence of that program, wouldn't you say, or could you elaborate on that just as a general feel for the young horse program no absolutely i I think that it's very you know when i was in europe uh you know when i was in europe uh on this last uh this last trip to look at some young horses for some well some future competition horse i mean i rode i rode a couple of the horses that actually were you know some of the top ones that ended up i think one was second um last year as a five-year-old and a couple other ones you know and and in the world championships and and um you know i think that you know, you really just have to know your horse, you know, and you have to have a real clear goal. And, and I mean, I really, in my program and what I do with for all my riders, you know, I really try to have clear, like, you know, five, 10 year plan goals. And, and, you know, we really kind of work backwards from there and we reassess it, you know, and we see, okay, if the horse stumbles, you know, you have a little stumbling block at one horse show or something, you know, I really try to keep the whole team in perspective. And, and, you know, I think that, you know, us as trainers have uh, a a real, a real responsibility, you know, for these horses to be able to look at them and say, yeah, okay, he can do it, you know, and, and to look at, well, where, where you can push and where you can try, because, you know, on on some horses, you know, seven years old doing the, the pre St. George. Ooh, I mean, that can be a lot to do, but, you know, last year that uh, the other uh, horse that I in the Young Horse Championships as a six-year-old. I mean, he won the USDF uh, National Championship in Kentucky as a seven-year-old, um, you know, and did the pre-St. George down there, a nice, super solid, clean test, um, you know, beating a bunch of horses that were at the Young Horse Championships. And it's just, you know, that one we had decided not to do the Young Horse stuff, you know, and, and a little bit weighed a little bit, and then he matured out a little bit more, and then I could do it later in the year. So I think really just, you got to really know your horse. And I really like starting out with these young horses and having them come up and then you really know them, you know, and, and, uh, I've been very lucky to be able to have 
some owners and 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 people that can uh, recognize that. And and Christine Traurig is, you know, while being the young horse uh, coach, she is super super on uh, on the same page with that. And you know, she does not, you know, want to push anything where you know it is at all a detriment to you know future competition. And and uh, I really respect that, and it's it's very helpful to have somebody like that uh, on 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 the young horse program. Yeah, I, I think it's important thinking about these things and thinking about the young horse stuff is is kind of like the young horse program and, and I think the competitions and stuff is very much for push professionals who know exactly what they're doing and they're not, I mean, how do I put this? And you're not schooling the movements every day and, and really mm-hmm. hammering right. home a tight pirouette, for instance. I mean, I'm just trying to think of things that would cause a young horse maybe to break down or to have uh, you know a blow up or something like that no it's it's for horses that um you know are are good at showing like enjoy to shows enjoy showing themselves off and that it's not a stressful thing right um yeah. and that you know that they're they're very talented for the movements and they have a rider who is also experienced and talented for the movements that you're not practicing things over and over and over that's more for the school horses you know the older guys who may have already shown to learn on right i mean when you when you can teach a talented horse something um you just try it once and it works and you praise and you put the horse away in the stall well flying change for instance you know that's not a big deal and and okay, when it comes to the point like you're, that it doesn't work, and now you're trying to school the thing, then you say, no, this is not for a six-year-old. This is not for a seven-year-old. I'm not going to do it. Right? You put them in the stall. You, you take it slow with them. But you know, when you try your first flying change and it works perfectly and it's great, and you can praise the horse, put it in the stall. There's no stress there. Right? Right. Yeah. So I think people have trouble with it because they think of how sometimes some horses get stuck in a moment or or maybe don't have super talent for something. Not, 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 I don't think any of the, the program works for that kind of horse, you know, that, that gets stressed from work. Right. And then, yeah. and then, you know, a lot of people are saying, this is not good for horses. You can't be, you know, you know, horses that are good for this program, you're not schooling. You're just playing all the time, every day, just yeah. playing. Like, let's do a change. Let's do a series of changes. Okay. And put them away. Right. And I think that's really important to understand that, that none of the trainers are at home with these fives and six year old horses doing a thousand pirouettes or, or whatever so right. you know it's hard to explain and to feel that difference but um hopefully that helps to explain it to to people that that um you know these aren't what like like you said and all that it was the first time doing the saint george test at the show it's fine for the horse i mean you make some mistakes and that's fine too and you work your way through and and nobody's nobody's punishing the horses nobody's pushing them beyond what they can do i've seen lucky strike he's amazingly talented I mean, I saw him, you know, maybe as a five or a six-year-old, and he can just float across the arena and half pass, and you didn't really have to teach it because it's in there. You just have to bring it out. So, yeah, you know, I yeah, I just you know don't like when when people you know are pulling horses from young horse programs or young horse trainers because they think it's something terrible. I don't think it's terrible at all. It just you have to, like we said, you know, feel for the horse and and design a good plan, and that's what a good trainer is all about, right? Yeah. yeah, and I think that it's really, you know, I mean, you look at those 
you know, really the ones that, I mean, you know, dressage is a little bit, uh, Lars told me this once and he said, you know, it's a little bit like, uh, like one of those Chinese finger traps, you know, like you can, you have to want it enough, but you, if you want it too much, I mean, you get stuck and you can't get out, you know, and <laughs> I think the ones, the, the riders that, that really, and that, you know, and I constantly have to keep an eye on myself, you know, and, and, uh, be my own uh, trainer at home and, and watch videos of myself and, you know, tell myself a lot of things that I don't want to hear a lot of times. And I mean, <laughs> I had, uh, I had a four year old that I really wanted to, to bring and, and, you know, do some of the young horse stuff that uh, is from a, 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 a very wonderful client of mine. And, you know, she was so great. You know, I called her up and I said, Hey, listen, I, you know, I think I can do it and I think I can get him into it, but I don't know. I really would like to wait a little bit, you know, and my gut yeah. says that, you know, he's a super horse and, but I think we need to wait. And she was so good about going perfect and let's wait. No problem. You know, and I think also the ones that are really successful at it, um, you know, they, you know, and, and are successful. I mean, you look at the ones that, you know, are in the top part of those classes. It's not the ones that really, you know, bang them through everything you know it's the people that are way more methodical and wait and listen and are a clear program and i mean we really try to you know we the, you know the winners of those classes they're not the ones that get after their horses too much you know and and uh you know you really start to see you know and and because you can start to see that these horses start to get produced into something you know and i mm-hmm. think the young you know that's what people had you know and i i understand where people come from and they're like you know i just think that there's a lot of young horses that get pushed into these programs and, and, you know, and I, I can understand their concerns. And a lot of people are like, Oh, it's too nice to do the young horse classes. It's too nice, you know, and it worried me a little bit, you know, and I, I got a little worried about it. Like maybe I'm pushing him too much. Maybe, maybe this is too hard, you know, but he really, you know, I mean, he, I, I really, you know, let my horse tell me a little bit what he was comfortable with doing and where we were, you know, comfortable with working and, and everything. And, and, uh, you know, I think it's, you know, you have to be really, you have to listen to those horses, but, you know, you start to see that a lot of these horses go through these young horse programs, you know, I mean, Totalist was fifth in the world championships, you know, I didn't even win, you know, and it, it helps give you a goal and something to work on, you yeah. know, and, and it helps give a little bit of a structure and it's just a goal, you know, I mean, a lot of the horses in the six-year-old classes, at the world championships, they they miss a bunch of lead changes, you know, and in, in a lot of ways, you know, the, you know, when you watch them and, and, you know, the, the judges, you know, that are judging at that level, they, they, they totally understand and they're not going to knock it that bad. They can, they'll still give you this to give you a nine for a canter. If you miss some lead changes or a simple change or different things, they may hurt you a little bit on submission, but in a small part, because they're looking at the over the overlying viewpoint and on there and the, the gates and everything. So it's also, it is actually structured in a really nice, way you know and to really give you know also goals for these young horses that it's not just that because i think in a lot of ways if we didn't have the program and we didn't have these uh, uh, you know rough goals and plans for it you know then then i think you actually have more people that force their horses to try to do more than than what they can and if you can mm-hmm. start to say okay simple changes as a five-year-old okay schooling some lead changes as a six-year-old you know but i mean the 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 horses in the six-year-old class and at lamplight i mean you know the winners sometimes don't get clean changes i think i messed up two changes on my winning ride last year you know and you know the judges make note of that you know but but that's not that that's not really the thing that that really affects it and the more i think that people can get understanding of these young horse programs and the development of the horses they can start to actually understand it's not just you know that you put the horse into a half pass you can do a half pass on both sides 
you know, on, on, on a young horse. And, but if you don't actually have the scope of the gate before and afterwards in the actual classes, you get, you get really hit hard on there. And because mm-hmm. they start to say that's too much trick riding, that's not enough development of the horse as, as a, a future competitor. And is which is a super nice thing to start to see from a lot of these judges. And, and the more people start to understand this program. Yeah. Well, Endel, thank you so much for your thoughts, and we really appreciate. We know how busy you are, and uh, we hope I, I need a vacation from talking to you and hearing your schedule. So we hope you get an, a little bit of time off before uh, we all invade uh, South Florida again and get ready for the season. Um, but you know, Absolutely. as always, we really enjoy talking with you. Thank you so much for all your insight tonight. And if our listeners wanted to find uh, find you online, how could they do that? Um, so yeah, my website is endelotsdressage.com uh, or you can message me on Facebook. Um, my email is endelotts at gmail.com. Uh, just Google me. You'll find me all over the place. Uh, sometimes I'm a little hard to get a hold of here and there. I have like 500 emails I got to get back to. Um, but uh, I usually tell people just harass me and I will get back to you. It may, it may take a week or two, but uh, I'm, I'm working on that. I'm working on being better. Oh, you do a great job. And thank you so much for your time, Endel. We always love having you on the show. My pleasure. So thank you to, to, to be back. So Coach Jen, you're going to actually tell us who the next interview is with. Well, yes, this is something we borrowed from the Horses in the Morning show. It played earlier this month. But we thought um, this this is something that is really kind of global. Every Everybody who has horses is going to have to be dealing with these sorts of decisions. So we had Dr. Rebecca Jimenez from the Technical Large Animal Emergency Rescue Company or organization on, along with John Haven, who is the director of the uh, Florida State Agricultural uh, Rescue something. Response team. That's what it is. Response team. So together they talked about things you should and shouldn't do during a natural disaster, fire, flood, hurricane, tornado things you need to do before and after, good resources to uh, take advantage of. So I think this conversation really applies to anyone anywhere in the country, even though John works for the state of Florida. A lot of what they talk about applies everywhere. And there are some good takeaways for people who are evacuating, but there are also some really good pointers in here for people who find themselves either choosing to stay and ride it out or being forced to stay and ride it out. So uh, uh, sit back and uh, enjoy this conversation. Sorry. All right, we need to get a little bit serious here. We have the Morse code going in the background, and we have one of our long, like longest time contributors to this show. She has been on 100 times, and that is Dr. G is with us. Good morning, Dr. G. Good morning from Georgia. Dr. G is with the Technical Large Animal Emergency Rescue, and it's been a while. We're so glad that you could come on in such short notice today. Well, I'm sorry that um, we're having to look out there into the Atlantic and and look at a pending disaster, but I certainly am glad that you guys are trying to promote evacuation and talking to some of your listeners about what they can do to stay safe. I got to tell you, and we'll bring John on here in a second, but I got to tell you that uh, I think there were more horses moved in Florida than any other day in history yesterday, judging by all the Facebook posts and all the things we were seeing. So people are taking this seriously. Judging by the lack of water and soup in every store in the state, uh, they're (laughs) definitely taking it seriously. And you have a guest on that can help, uh, help us with this today, too. Can you introduce him? 
I absolutely can. I was very lucky to get John Haven. He's the director of the University of Florida's College of Veterinary Medicine. Um, he has a special interest in hurricanes because back in June 2004, he had just joined the College of Veterinary Medicine as their director. And um, immediately afterwards, he had hurricanes Charlie, Francis, Gene, and Ivan hit the state. And of course, he is prior service military. So um, I'm an Air Army person. He's an Air Force person. We sort of make fun of them, Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, apparently his, his Air Force training was sufficient, and he was very good about getting together with the Veterinary Medical Association, the State Veterinarian's Office, um, and they were very successful considering four hurricanes hit their state in one year. And since then, he has taken it very seriously. He has gotten training for his people. He has provided training within his state to firefighters, uh, veterinarians, USAR team members, which you guys have a lot of USAR team members, by the way. I think you have seven state teams. And um, along the way, he got on some technical rescue standards committees for the National Fire Protection Association and um, is getting the fire service to take large animal rescue very seriously. Now, today, we're not really talking about large animal rescue. Hopefully, we're not going to have to talk about rescuing anything because we're going to try to motivate you guys to get your horses and, of course, your cattle, too. But it's a horse show, so we'll talk about horses out of the state of Florida and uh, into safety. All right, good. John, good morning. Good morning. Thanks thank for, you for having me. Thank you for joining us. Now, John, uh, you know, we were helping horses move a little bit yesterday with what resources we could dig up, and Facebook was going crazy. I don't know how people ever moved horses before Facebook, actually. Um, but what have you? What are you seeing? What's your feeling? <laughs> it does appear that people are taking this pretty seriously here in Florida, and I think thanks to Harvey, that's why that's happening. Harvey was definitely a, a wake-up call for everybody. Uh, Florida sort of sticks itself out there in the middle of the ocean like a finger anyways. And uh, fortunately, it's been since Wilma, uh, since we've had a really hard hit. And uh, Wilma was pretty devastating, especially down there in South Florida, which did have a fairly large uh, horse community. And uh, Wilma, if folks remember, actually strengthened as it crossed land and went out into the Atlantic. So that was a very unusual storm. So what are you what are you seeing? We're we're we were hearing about tons of horses that have been moving from South Florida, especially the Wellington area, up to our area in Ocala. You know, so what are you seeing? What what do you feel should be happening at this point? I think uh, from what I heard yesterday, the Southeast Livestock Pavilion was full, and uh, OBS was still taking uh, horses in. I don't know what their status is this morning. Um, I always do like to uh, see them come out of uh, the impact area. Um, one of the rescues that we did for Hurricane Francis was South Florida horses that moved up to a facility uh, east of Orlando but west of Tampa that it turned out uh, was in a floodplain. And you know, as the storm hmm. changed directions, what seemed like a great place to uh, take the horses ended up with uh, us getting 20-some horses out of uh, near chest-deep water. So making sure that where people are taking their horses uh, will, in fact, uh, remain a dry and safe location. Um, a lot of the injuries we saw when we went to Hurricane Wilma uh, were barn collapse injuries. So again, if they're going to go to a facility and, and put them up, making sure that it's out of the storm path, right now that path is still kind of moving around a bit. Uh, hopefully it's going to keep moving back towards the east and out to the Atlantic and we'll just get a good brush 
but it's so big it could still be pretty bad. So those that are putting them in barns, you know, that is one of the ultimate concerns there. Well, you know, we always have that argument. Absolutely. And Dr. Jimenez, we've had this discussion 1,200 times. <laughs> do you leave them out yep. to fend for themselves, or do you put them in a barn? We it, it, This argument's been going on since horses and barns existed. Um, so what did we determine? I'll, when give we've you had... the, I'll give you the short answer. Okay. I'll give you the short answer, Glenn. Um, you're right. That That is a it huge depends. issue, and it all depends on how much space you've got and whether or not, you know, if you've got a 25-acre pasture with options, um, such as they can go into the runout, they can go into the woods, they can go into a low area in the woods where they can choose. They are smart enough to take care of themselves. But if you're putting them into a quarter-acre paddock in uh, the middle of an open field, they don't really have a choice. And so at that point, you either evacuate, which is my preference, of course, always. But if you're going to put them in that barn, you got to make sure who was the person that built that barn? Is it well-engineered? Is a structural engineer involved in the building of those barns? Some of those places in Florida are absolutely gorgeous um, and are very well-built. Masonry structures with good overhead. But some of us, you know, and me, myself included, um, I am the general engineer, the general <laughs> contractor, et cetera, for my buildings around here. And I didn't, I didn't, find a, anybody professional to do that. Um, so so yours are a little crooked a like the ones on we built? Facility. Is that what you're saying? Yours are a little crooked. Uh, yeah. Mine are just, <laughs> actually, mine are, mine are just running sheds. That's all it is. Read, you know, not up to code. To yeah. <laughs> Thatch no, roofs. No, ma'am. And in, in Georgia, you can do anything you, you know, want I'm, to I'm as in, long as it's an agricultural just, facility. <laughs> yeah, I live just north of Ocala and on seven acres, and I've got a barn, and my horses will be out in the paddock. Oh, you'll do it you that know, way? What kind of barn do you have? Do you have a concrete yeah. block or do you have uh, a stick? It's slightly nicer than the one that Rebecca's talking about, by, but not by much. <laughs> so they will be safer outside. You know, the problem we no, have we'll at our farm, it, it, I want to mention this because it's a problem we have at our farm and most Florida farms have. We have 98 live oak trees on this farm. So every pasture has live oak trees. The reason we take the chance on bringing them in to a stick-built barn, I mean, it's pretty well built, but we bring them in is there are branches is coming down all the time off these trees during storms. Mm -hmm. Live oak trees are terrible for shedding large branches. And we're afraid of them getting yeah. hit by the branches or these trees. You know, live oak trees just come down for no reason at all. So Absolutely. that's what we worry about. So in our case, you know, it's like one or the other, right? I mean, it's... True. And that really comes down to what is your... Okay, so if that's your plan, what's your backup plan? If something goes wrong with the structural integrity of your barn, how do you get into it? Um, calling the firefighters in normal situations would be most useful because it's pretty dangerous to try to break into a, a collapsed structure. But honestly, where are the firefighters going to be after this hurricane? They're going to be saving people. They're going to be doing their job, which is human life first and animal life is after that. So do you have cutting equipment? Do you have friends with tractors? Are you going to be um, taking the pieces off that barn to try to get down to your horses? And that's the kind of questions we try to get people to realistically ask themselves. Are you prepared to do something like that? Do you have the equipment? Because saying, I need to go to Lowe's and buy it, that's not a plan. You've got to have it in hand, ready to roll with a plan and people who know how to use that equipment safely to be able to react to that. Otherwise, I say put them in a trailer and come north. Let me talk a yeah, little bit about... Since many of your folks are coming towards Georgia, I just got off the phone, actually, with the Georgia Department of Agriculture. As you can imagine, 
Um, we are looking very hard at some options for folks coming out of Florida, and they are updating their websites on the Georgia Department of Glenn, I actually sent it to you on a PM on Facebook, okay. uh, what the link is in case you want to share that. Um, they're updating their list of where people can go in Georgia. As you know, the state veterinarian's office made an excellent decision, in my opinion, to waive the requirements coming over the border of Florida to leave. Do they still have to stop? And do our, we know that? That's a question we had earlier. No. You don't have do to stop. Okay. They do not. So I, yeah, I, I did go ahead and confirm with the state veterinarian's office this morning. Don't have to stop going out, but remember, coming back, <laughs> there will be a narrow window of time to get the animals home before they reinstitute the standard policy. So if you don't have your Coggins, if you don't have your health check, if you don't have all the other parts and pieces, you won't be able to get them home. Good point. So Absolutely. Gotta, that's that's got to be part of your plan. Yeah, and we are actually, they are putting together a list of some of the veterinarians here in Georgia so that people will be able to get health certificates to go back in um, as well. So there will be some excellent resources from the Georgia Department of Ag. Um, they told me that they are already looking at um, activating their state EOC and getting the people that are going to have the answers um, to put that stuff out as, as much as possible. I know that they have also relaxed the requirements here in our state. Normally, we also check um, if you're transporting horses, but they're going to relax that today as well. And Alabama has also reduced their standards okay. for coming in. Good. So, all right. So now so the horses that we, are left. Can talk a little bit about yeah. what? Go ahead. I was going to say the horses that are left here now, how do we mark them? What do we do? Okay. If they absolutely just have to leave them, I'm a big fan of a freeze brand on the outside and a microchip inside so that you can prove uh, ownership in case they end up in your neighbor's yard, down the street, those kinds of places. Um, obviously, good pictures today. One of my peeps that I was talking to this morning, she's a photographer and she reminded me, you know, please go out there today and get excellent pictures of your animals with you in the pictures so that you can prove these are your animals. And especially of all the little girls and little special places on your horses. You know, I, Glenn, I have some black walking horses. They look like everybody else's black walking horses. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to concentrate on the places that look different so that you, if you ever had to prove ownership. Um, you want to mark them. Some people have been using things like livestock crayons to mark their phone numbers on the side of the horse, uh, braiding uh, an ID tag into their mane. That's what Jennifer does. Uh, she braids that. We have the chips, and she yeah. braids that in. Yep. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. So multiple ways of identifying your horse. Um, don't forget about their eyes. We're talking mostly about, I mean, 185 miles an hour, Glenn. Those are just crazy. That's like... That's a class three uh, F three tornado, and for minutes to hours, um, not just the thirty seconds that a tornado usually comes over. So we are talking mostly about flying debris and how can you try to protect your animal. Some people have been saying, "Oh, I want to put a blanket on the horse." Well, you know, if you could do that right before the winds get there, maybe so. Uh, maybe there'll be enough ventilation. But I would be concerned that if you put it on the animal in ninety degree heat in Florida in the kind of humidity that we've got. Um, maybe your animal would end up suffering more from the heat and humidity than it would uh, how many injuries it prevents. But I do think that eye protection is a good idea. Um, putting some kind Absolutely. of a fly mask on your horses to protect their eyes. As we all know, a horse that is injured in his eyes is very difficult to treat and very expensive. Also, if you have a, have a well, chip... Well, that's where even here at the university, 
it, it's uh, here at UF, you know, we've got a great ophthalmology department, but it drives me crazy seeing people who's trailering down the interstate and they don't have fly masks on, but they got the doors down and the horse's yeah, head sticking out. That always out. drives me crazy, too. Um, <laughs> you know, so it's 70, 80 mile an hour wind throwing objects into your horse's eyes. Yeah, by the way, your um, dogs can get that, too. I just want to throw that out there as their head sticking out the absolutely. back window. That's true. Hey, um, I wanted to say while we're talking about this, if you have a chip and you have not registered your chip, you can go to found.org and register any brand of chip for free. So that's one of the things you could do today. Um, the well, you bring up an interesting point yeah. on the microchipping yeah. because a lot of the microchips, especially if your veterinarian puts it in for you, when the vendor sells them the chip and then they resell it to you, in a lot of cases, the information is the veterinarian's information that's in the database regarding that chip. It's not you until you go log on and put your information in. Okay. So you really need to go update your, your chip info. Otherwise, it's not very helpful. Got it. Now, all right. Good so, point. so the uh, I guess a couple of other things. Is there anything else that you wanted to bring up, Doctor Jimenez? And especially, like we have a lot of we have thousands of horses now coming to Ocala. We usually, by the time a storm gets here, you know, usually it's down to a tropical storm. We get a lot of wind. We get a lot of rain. We'll lose power. Obviously. If you don't have a hand pump, you got to get water ready for those all those horses that are here. You better be pouring buckets of water. That's exactly right. I always use the example of people say, well, I'm going to get the fire department to bring water. Well, a 1,000 gallons of water, if, if you have 100 horses and they drink 10 gallons of water a piece each day, that's a 1,000 gallons of water right there. So that gives you an idea of how much water you're talking about. And uh, you really do need to have those resources ahead of time. Uh, the only other thing that I was going to add to the discussion on what to put on your horse would be I do like the use of a breakaway type halter just in case the animal does get loose. Um, he can be more easily caught by anybody. I don't like leaving lead ropes on, but uh, I do like having a breakaway type halter, uh, either a, a leather halter, breakaway type, um, so that it, if he gets his head caught on something, it will break off of him. But that, that would be the clothing that I would put on my horse. Um, with some leg wraps to protect him, um, something on his eyes, and a halter. That would be all the clothing that I would put on my horse. Okay. All right. I I think Uh, the other thing that we really need to emphasize is that, uh, you know, we're talking about our animals, but don't forget that as you're moving your animals, if you're evacuating them, please make sure you've done your homework to do the maintenance on your vehicle and trailer before you leave, because... If you don't have sufficient fuel and you end up getting caught in the traffic, you're going to be a statistic. And if you, that can happen for many reasons. You can blow a tire. Do you have a way to deal with that tire? Uh, if you run out of fuel, if uh, your floorboards give out, you really need to make sure you do some maintenance, fill the air on your tires, et cetera, before you leave. And if you don't know, take it to a tire place and have them check before you leave. Because um, I would hate for people to be stuck in evacuation traffic because they had some maintenance problem on their trailer. And yeah. then you're standing out there with the wind picking up, and what do you do then? i got to tell you, too, get and your gas. For those that don't get, evacuate, yeah. Go ahead, Joe. If, if you don't evacuate, remember immediately post-storm, you know, do you have the ability to fix any of your panels if they're down to help keep animals in or get them back in? But also remember as the water level comes up, snakes and other animals are not going to be where they normally are because they, too, are looking for dry places. So moving around, um, you need to be careful for yourself. Texas Fire Ants. 
prime example. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Floating on rafts that they make themselves. Yeah, that grossed us all out. I got more. We well, talked I, about. I went into. <laughs> It was I went into my feed yeah. shed right after Hurricane Matthew came through, and I opened the door, and there was a nice little rattlesnake inside, and it was like, this is not good. Welcome <laughs> home. And, uh, I, yeah, welcome home. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, he was up on a shed that's up elevated off the ground, and I'm still not even sure how he got in there. So, again, being really careful. You just never know what you'll find. All right, and don't forget about a really good example. I just wanted to throw this I've in. I've got a really Don't... good example from uh, Brevard, Glenn, if yep. you've got one more minute. Yep. There's an equestrian center in Brevard County, um, and they actually posted last night on Facebook. They basically said, hey, we're hiring transport vans, and we're moving these horses out of the state. And those of you that own these horses, um, we hope, quote, nothing would make us happier than to have every one of our owners mad at us for wasting their money evacuating when the storm actually goes far away from our home and our evacuation site. And I think that's the kind of attitude we need to have. It is better to spend some extra money, move your animals, get them to a safe place, and then go, damn it, the storm went somewhere else, instead of having to deal with the kinds of things that you're seeing after Hurricane Harvey. Um, That is an absolute disaster. There are horses that are suffering. There's people that are euthanizing animals um, that are very loved and members of their family because they failed to plan. So please, if you've got the opportunity, you've got a couple of days to still make plans, get out of there, get on social media, get on websites, start looking around. Where can you put your horses? Uh, where can you put your family? And uh, do the right thing for you and your horses. You, you're, you'll be able to sleep better if you know that they're in a safe place. All right. I already mentioned, John, earlier one with this. I mentioned some resources. There's a Facebook page that is designed for people to find homes for horses, and they're all talking to each other, and it's actually kind of going crazy. It is the Florida Equine Evacuation Locations. That's the name of the Facebook page, Florida Equine Evacuation Locations. It is a private page, but they're accepting everybody immediately. So head on over there. There's a lot of posts on there uh, right now about trucks and trailers and where to go and people offering their homes and their barns. John, where else can they go in Florida for this information? Out on the uh, Florida SART, the FLSART.org website is where we maintain all of our information for agricultural emergencies. Okay. And people can actually see what's on the page itself and they can also register as a member of the public and get updates of what's going on. So that might be interesting. Well, thank you both. Dr. Jimenez, what's the uh, website for uh, for your organization as well? And by the way, I hope nobody has to use what you've trained them over the years to do, and that's rescue animals. Oh, absolutely. What they can do is we are actually accepting people onto our page, too. Normally, this is for professional rescuers. We consider it to be a study page. But it is on Facebook, if you type in Technical Large Animal Emergency Rescue, you will get the group and you can ask to join. And they will ask you some questions as to why you want to be a member. But we've had quite a few people join recently. Um, And we are promoting um, evacuation and places that people can go to and distributing that kind of information. Otherwise, they can also go to the Georgia Department of Ag website. Um, They are actually updating that for all the sheltering information across the state by the end of the day, and their phone number is 855-327-6829. 
Very good. Thank you both for joining us today. We really appreciate this, and let's hope this baby makes a right turn and just heads off into the ocean. That would be the best thing that could happen here. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? Uh, but you know what? And if it does, <laughs> and so all much, these Glenn. people have evacuated, they have had good practice, right? This is practice. We'll that cons- It is excellent practice. That's exactly right. Yep. And uh, thank you so much for promoting this, Glenn. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. This week's dressage training tip is brought to you by Total Saddle Fit, home of the shoulder relief girth at totalsaddlefit.com. So, Phil, for our Total Saddle Fit tip of the week, we have Caroline Rothman on. She's uh, been on the show before and does a great job, but she's coming on the show to talk a little bit about, she just had a new baby. She has two little ones, and she's going to tell us a little bit about how she sort of makes everything happen. So, we're making that our trainer tip of the week. And, Phil, tell us a little bit about the Stretch Tech Shoulder Relief Girth by Total Saddle Fit. Yeah, well, we wanted to bring attention to the Shoulder Relief Girth. Um you know, lots of our, our listeners will have heard about this before, but we wanted to, you know, highlight the benefits of it. And this is a girth that helps your saddle, you know, fit better. And, you know, the girth um, sits in the horse's natural girth groove. It's cut back, you know, so that it doesn't interfere with the, the movement of the horse and the horse's elbows. And, you know, it, it's specially designed to not pinch the horse's skin. In the stretch tech version of the shoulder relief girth, it's built with a unique triangular elastic in the center of the girth that expands in proportion to the horse's chest for easier breathing and soft contact on the sternum. It uses an interchangeable liner system, so you can choose to have a leather liner or a neoprene liner, and very soon, if not released already, will be the the wolfie liner for easier cleaning and flexibility. Uh, you can purchase one liner with, with the girth or all of them, or later on you can decide you want to try the other liners, and they can all be sold separately. So you get your stretch check shoulder relief girth at totalsaddlefit.com. Yeah, it's a great girth. I, I use this one on um, my big horse, and uh, he really likes it. He can be a little funny in the girth, and uh, this girth has really, really helped a lot. Also, with another horse that I had that's girthy, uh, they're way better with this girth. So I'm a super fan of this girth. I think it works really well. So I hope you guys enjoy. And if you have any questions, Justin at totalsaddlefit.com will help you out. Well, tonight, we are so happy to have international rider, trainer, and brand new mom for the second time, Caroline Rothman on the show. Caroline, welcome. Thank you for having me again. So thank you the second time. We love it. It's always easier the second time. So everyone is really good the second time. It's like after you ride your Grand Prix for the first time, the second time is much easier. (laughs) Much easier. (laughs) <laughs> well, we have lots to talk about, and um, actually, we're we're going to do a little change because of sort of the situation in South Florida. You're in Wellington, right? So can you kind of tell us with the hurricane coming, you know, what are you guys doing, and what, how are you preparing? Well, you know, it's one of those things that you can only prepare so much for. Um, the news and the local, um, you know, the, the locals and whatnot are kind of making our own plans according to this hurricane that that seems to be heading straight towards us um you know we're trying to figure out where it's going to hit what it's you know what time of day when all these things are always changing um you know they talk about it's going to make landfall in miami or you know some of these islands that it's um gone over you know some of them have 
bypassed it. Um, it really just depends. But the usual stuff that we're doing is, you know, boarding all the windows, um, shutters, water supply, food supply, hay, grain for the horses, um, you know, extra everything. Um, it's it's really a little bit nerve wracking. The feeling here is is quite panicked. Um, lines for gas, stores are out of food and water. Um, people are stealing plywood. You can't get plywood. You can't get nails or screws from the store. So it's a little bit um, overwhelming to handle. But I have been down here for quite some time and did the the two hurricanes like ten years ago. Um, they were only hurricane category threes, but still hurricanes with horses. Um, so I feel I feel like I'm doing everything I can. Um, but you know, you really have to prepare to be unprepared for it. Honestly, just wanted to know what goes into the decision whether to, you know, evacuate your, your horses and your family or, or not. You know, it's a really tough decision and I know a lot of professionals have left. Um, but at the end of the day, I have, I mean, I have 18 horses in the barn right now. I have two kids. We have four dogs. We have, you know, it, the list goes on of things and it's just not a feasible thing to consider moving. Um, we are in a CBS barn. It is built after Andrew when the, you know, the hurricane building codes all changed. Um, it's in good shape. Obviously we take care of it. Um, we have a, we're lucky enough, um, to be able to have access to a house that has a hurricane room, which means cement, you know, a foot, foot wide cement walls and ceiling and stuff like that. So I'm not concerned at all, honestly, with my family, um, at all. We're going to be fine. I'm pretty confident in that. We have generators. I just, you know, of course, I'm concerned for the horses. They don't understand. It it can be very stressful. So I'm spending most of my energy on them right now. Um, But, you know, it's, I think if I could have two horses and, and whatever, I'd pack up and leave. But it's just not in the cards for us right now. Yeah. Well, and that's actually why we're calling because you are a brand new mama for the second time, right? <laughs> yes, ma'am. I have <laughs> two little girls now, <laughs> um, one month old and 17 months old. My goodness. Yeah. So you're already kind of not sleeping at all. I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Sleep deprivation is normal. Um, <laughs> so no, I, I'm very lucky actually. The older, the older girl is a, a good sleeper and this baby's turning out to be the same, but yes, it, it does involve some sleep loss. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so trying, you know, so that's even extra stuff that you would have to pack up and you have a little one. And, oh my oh, goodness. Gosh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We don't have a car big enough, I don't think, to take all of the stuff and <laughs> the animals that we would, I, I don't even, honestly, I, I don't know how we would be able to evacuate unless we just took us, you know, yeah. no animals. Yeah. So, so on a happier note, it sounds like you guys are, are as prepared as possible, but, you know, the reason why we were chatting is, um, you know, I, I find it really interesting, you know, trying to be a mom and be a writer and, you know, how, how are you doing all of that? I mean, that's incredible. You know, I, I, it's not easy, but not, nothing is. Um, and in the choice for me was the right choice. I had spent most of basically my entire life from like 11 years old till I was, you know, 27, um, horses, 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 12 horses a day, horses all the time. That's all I did. That's all I cared about. Um, which is particularly, um, you know, is, I don't, I don't think, I don't recommend that 
um, I think being well-rounded is key for happiness and, and, and just everything. Um, so for me, it was a, you know, great opportunity. I, I really wanted children and, and it changed everything. And I think it changed it for the better. It's very different. Um, you know, they come first. Um, it changes your day-to-day routine, uh, the way you think about things. It's, it's very different. But for me, like I said, I, I, it, it changed everything for the better. It was what I wanted. And, and I think it made me a better person. Um, it's, it takes a village. I could not do it alone at all. Um, you know, I'm very lucky. Ben, uh, is wonderful with them. I'm have close family, my mom, um, everybody's very involved. And I have great people that work in the barn with us that are always happy to hold a baby, which isn't (laughs) always what everybody wants to do. Um, you know, it's, it's our horse show setup is a little different now. You know, we have cribs and bouncy things and you can find a pacifier just about anywhere. You know, it's, it's, it's different. Um, but it's challenging in a different way. Um, I'm going to try now this upcoming season to get a little bit back more into showing again. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how to manage that with (laughs) with two kids, but, um, I'm, I'm confident I can figure something out. Just, it just takes a little compromise and some creative thinking, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I mean, I, I see all the moms out there and I think it's amazing and to, to know sort of what it goes into being a professional rider and trying to get that organized. But like you said, <laughs> it sounds like having a team is really, really important and being able to, to do that. And, and living in Wellington, does that help because you're able to sort of show and, and not have to travel as much? Does that make sense, that question? Yeah, for sure. I, I think that being in Wellington is a savior if you have children, because I think at the end of the day, they, they do have to go to school eventually. And, and I'm not there yet. But um, when they do, if if you're trying to put them in school in Missouri and, and show in Wellington, it's pretty much impossible unless you leave them. So it's really the only way that it, it would work with a show lifestyle for me. Um, and of course, you know, being able to be in your own bed at night for 12 weeks or however long the horse show season is and, and have your kids there is amazing. You know, that's blessed to have that. Not everybody has that luxury. Um, but for sure, I think that makes it a lot easier. Yeah. And so how about, um, because I've not had children, you know, I don't know the answer. So how about like coming back into riding fitness? Like how, how does that work? I mean, I, you were very fit, obviously you're a professional rider so you before you had a baby but you know just just think of all the moms out there that are kind of coming back and have had had their baby how do you what are some things you can tell well, them well the, the the first thing i think that i mean it's a little bit different than i mean okay of course your medical professional your doctor has to recommend what's best for sure. you and um i was not a high risk pregnancy um of course if you're a high risk pregnancy it changes everything but even you know the fact that i rode so late into my pregnancy was what allowed me to bounce back quickly. Um, some people aren't comfortable with that. Some people, you know, you have to listen to your, to your body and, and of course to your doctor, but I felt comfortable. I rode, um, I rode, I think five days before I gave birth. Um, of course, no, I wasn't riding 12 horses a day. And I mean, I was, I mean, you could call it riding, but I was doing something, um, <laughs> and on only the most saintly of horses. Um, and I was really making sure to stay hydrated, all, you know, all the things that were important. But basically, whether you're riding or not, staying in some sort of fitness through your pregnancy helps you bounce back. If you do the whole eat donuts, sit around the whole pregnancy, it's it's quite hard to come back from, I think. Um, but I was able to bounce back. And, and like anything, you start slow. I started one horse, 
been too, you know, you, you start as best you can. Um, you know, of course you're going to be tired and, and, you know, I, I think it, <laughs> took me 11 days to get back on a horse after. So Whoa. I really didn't miss much time. Yeah. Didn't miss much time. <laughs> but you know, I was, like I said, I rode late into my pregnancy. So that that's a, a huge portion of why I was able to just go back to it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's amazing. That's great. And what is it like having two versus one? I can't even imagine that. Oh, let me tell you when <laughs> I, when, when I, when I was pregnant with May, my, my first daughter, she, you know, everybody was, very nice and congratulatory, but I think they kind of smiled and thought like, you know, it's going to change everything. Like, haha, it's going to be different. Right. And it was, but it is 300 times more difficult with two. Um, <laughs> if one's not into something, the other is, if one doesn't need you, the other does. If they both need you at the same time, you need to, you know, it's, it's really very challenging. One child, I feel like I you could manage, anybody uh, could manage having one child and maintaining their life pretty much the same, whether it's riding or whatever they're into. Two is very different. <laughs> it, <laughs> very seems different. Like it. <laughs> it seems yeah, like it. It seems like it. I love it. That's a challenge. I love it. So any other advice for moms out there for, for riding and kind of doing the whole thing, like how to, you know, balancing it all? I, you know, I, I just think people are so scared that, that it will change their lives and they won't be able to do with it. You know, they'd have to give up, let's say riding. And at the end of the day, you don't. Um, and it becomes, I'm very lucky now because my, my 17 month old, she loves horses. So it's something that she, for now we share together. She loves to go to the barn. She loves to brush them. She loves if she gets a chance to sit on them. So it's, it's something that you don't have to give up and, and you can still do and have a career or whatever. Um, and, and it, you know, you, okay, you miss maybe a little time riding, even if it's months and months, it's, it's always there. It's like a bicycle. <laughs> you don't forget mm-hmm. that ride. You know, it, you pick it right back up. But it's, to me, it was, I can only say what it was for me and it was the right thing for me. Um, and I, I can only recommend children, you know, I, I think it's great. It changes everything in a good way. You didn't know you could love like you do when you have them. Um, and it, it sets a lot of priorities you know, it changes them quite a bit. Um, and I think, like I said, for me, the, for the better, I would assume for most people the same. So, um, I just, you know, if you want kids, don't, you don't have to give anything up. Um, you know, and it's, it's wonderful. That is really cool. Well, you know, here, I really felt like you're, you know, having a professional writer come on and, and tell it, you know, talk to us about it is so important because um, I was sharing with Caroline, I just took my niece to a dance class and I thought, geez, <laughs> these moms like ride and work and, and it's really hard. And and so I, I thank you for coming on and sharing your story with us. And I can't wait to see you back in the ring. I'll be your number one oh. fan out there for sure. And uh, oh, Caroline, how can our listeners find you online if they have any questions or uh, teaching, riding, training? You're still doing all that. So how could they find you online? Um, my website is lionsharedressage.com. And I'm on Facebook under Caroline Rothman and Lionshare, um, as well as Instagram. And um, you can find my emails and all the other things there. Fantastic. Well, you guys be safe with those babies and the horses and we'll be praying and thinking about you guys in the next couple of weeks. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. 
Well, as always, everybody, we love email and Facebook shout outs. Feel free to call us or get a hold of us any way you like. Uh, we always love that. And, um, you know, again, we're with everybody with the hurricanes. Um, and as always, you can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website, dressageradio.com. Just like us on Facebook, ser- um, search Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com, and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. You can find me on Facebook, or my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors this week for allowing us to put on a show, and don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Everybody, keep your heels down and your shoulders back, and we will talk to you guys in a couple weeks. (laughs) 